Another Way to Play, episode 86. The truth is we have choice. We don't realize we have choice all the time. But if there's something that really is bad and it's the way it is, why are you choosing it? Can you choose something else? This is Dr. Aaron Baker, transformational leadership and business coach. And if you want to make the next chapter of your life better than the last, then you should be listening to Another Way to Play with my good friend, Hans Struzina. Welcome to Another Way to Play, your wake-up call to finally make a difference by creating a life defined by freedom. This is about entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and industry professionals that have left the 9-to-5 rat race behind by taking that personal leap from where they were to where they want to be. It's time to stop going through the motions, stop hitting the snooze button on your life, and get the insight and inspiration to make the next chapter of your life better than your last. This is Another Way to Play with your host, Hans Struzina. This is Another Way to Play. I am your host, Hans Struzina, and I believe that if you trade hours for dollars, you will never achieve true freedom in your life. Today's guest is Dr. Erin Baker. She's a transformational leadership and business coach who started her career as actually an academic. She was PhD in human psychology realized that academia wasn't exactly where she wanted to live, moved into Facebook and ended up building a career out of hustling and grinding and ultimately did very well, but realized that she wasn't quite happy, frankly. And through a variety of incidents that we discuss, um, she realized that she needed to make a change and hired a coach and ultimately became a coach. And through that, she talks about a lot of the experiences she's had personally, but also coaching many of her clients through transitions, either into entrepreneurship or just into a more balanced life. Couple key things to listen up for is when she realized that she had to question is this really the way it is? Meaning she was in a culture where it was hustle mode, commute three hours, you know, work, 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 pinging you at all hours of the night and not really having a life. And what is that ultimately getting you? Like that is at the core of her story and something you want to listen for if that at all feels like something that applies to you. She also talks about a myth that she believes you don't always have to hustle. So listen for that and what she means there. And then at the very end, she talks about imposter syndrome and how that's actually a good thing. And so a lot of her advice is about reframing, asking questions, and deciding what it actually means for you. So make sure you tune in and you're going to want to rerun this one a few times. So spend some time with it because Aaron has some fantastic advice for us here today. And, you know, before we get into the episode, I just want to remind you that if you're getting value out of this or any of the other episodes, I'd really appreciate it if you headed over to iTunes and left a rating and review because that really helps me grow the show, gives me some critical feedback because I do read those reviews and just means an awful lot to me in general. If you want to connect a one-on-one, head down into the show notes. I've got my Calendly link there. I'm always open. I'd love to connect with people who are listening to the show and see how I can continue to provide value. So without any further ado, here is my interview with Dr. Aaron Baker. Aaron, thank you so much for being on the show today. Really excited to have you on. Me too. Thank you for having me, Hans. So we went through your bio a little bit and kind of understand what you're doing now, but it wasn't always that way. So why don't you back it up, 
talk to us about the very beginning of your journey and where it really began. Sure. Um, for me, I think it really began not that far back in the past. So I got a PhD in psychology about six years ago and academia was a really safe place to learn a lot about humans and, you know, kind of tickle my curiosities about the world, but I really wanted to have an impact. And one of the things about academia is that you get to study some really cool things, but they're just at the tip of the pin needle and you publish in these journals and nobody reads them. So the beginning of my journey into business actually led me first out of academia into the corporate world. I ended up at Facebook where I was doing research. It's called user research. The idea of user research is to make the platform a better platform for people in the world, right? Mm -hmm. And the more and more I got into that world, uh, the more I realized I didn't care about the impact Facebook was having. I cared about the people, the people I was managing, the people I was leading. And at the same time, I found myself really falling into Facebook's way of creating a culture and the hustle and always being on and burning myself out. And I had a moment a few years ago where my mom got really sick and almost died. And I said, what am I doing? You know, why am I burning myself to the ground at Facebook? I don't even really want to have impact at scale for a billion people. And so I just started having this, like, well, what am I really doing with my life? And through hiring my own coach, I started realizing what really lit me up. And I spent about a year, I still didn't leave corporate. I moved to Microsoft. So I spent a year going, really, what does light me up? And I was terrified to leave the safety net. Academia was a safe place. Facebook slash Microsoft were safe corporate places. And all of a sudden I went, oh, I want to start a business. I want to be a coach. I want to help other people get clear on, you know, what they want to be doing and have the freedom of what I have as a business, right? And so I, I took the leap totally out of, with no parachute <laughs> and said, well, I have a parachute, financial parachute, but I had no idea what I was doing. But I just had this moment of, if I don't do this now at this time in my life, when am I going to do it? Um, I'm not having the impact I want to have. I'm burning myself out. And I can just sense that if I can create the life I want through a business, this is the time to do it. So I, about a year and a half ago, said sayonara to corporate, and here I am now helping other people say sayonara to corporate. Well, some people are still leaders in corporate, but mostly people saying sayonara to corporate and starting their own thing too. Wow. You've really run the gamut of high education, high performance in an organization, and now obviously as an entrepreneur and helping people kind of basically follow the path that you followed. Thinking back to that first transition out of your PhD program and into Facebook, mentally, how did that start for you in that? Like, what was the mission? What were you excited about then? And then how did that change once you actually got boots on the ground? Mm, great question. So my fascination, the reason I got a PhD in psychology is humans. I love understanding how we think, how we feel, how we behave in the world, and the thing I didn't like about academia is that I was not able to spread my knowledge about how humans work in a way that changed anything in the world. So I had this notion in my head, I'm going to go apply my knowledge in a real world context. And when I got to Facebook, 
to some degree, I was able to do that. I mean, 2 billion people is like, yeah, it's a great representation of humanity. And we were doing things to create things for humanity. And my, my knowledge was really, really important. Um, but what I didn't realize that more important than using my knowledge to create a product, I wanted to use my knowledge to impact people one-on-one. And so that's where I couldn't figure out while I was at Facebook what was wrong (laughs) because Mm -hmm. here I am at the pinnacle of my career, according to most people, the the one place everyone wants to work. And there was just something about what I was doing that just didn't feel like it was hitting the mark. And it wasn't until I started managing people and in management you you coach that I started going, oh, what I really want to do is teach and mentor and use my knowledge one-on-one to create change in people, not change in apps and apps services. So you had these various epiphanies along the way, like you're Mm. obviously at a very high academic level if you're pursuing and achieving a PhD. And then you're like, huh, this isn't quite hitting the mark. And then I'm like, okay, Facebook, or I'm sure it wasn't Facebook at the time, but that's who hired you eventually. Um, And it's like, let's apply what I know to 2 billion people. That seems like a good thing. And then Mm -hmm. boom, that's also not quite hitting the mark but maybe closer. And then you got kind of boots on the ground entrenched in this world of leadership management, you know, and then I'm assuming some level of product development and all that other stuff. But it wasn't until you actually got into it and got your hands dirty that you realized that, oh, now what I want is that like interaction on a one-on-one basis with people and making a difference in their lives on a daily basis. Yeah, absolutely. And on top of it, I didn't realize how much I was trying to fit the mold at Facebook of um, how I was supposed to operate in terms of how often I worked. A lot of smart people at Facebook and it's really easy to get caught up in like implicit competition, chasing things like bonuses and promotions. Um, So it was not only the, I'm realizing that I want to interact with people one-on-one, but it's also Mm -hmm. realizing I don't want to work this way. This is not Mm -hmm. how I want my life. My life was entirely Facebook. And part of it was my commute was sometimes three hours a day. Oh my gosh. I was on a shuttle at 630 in the morning and then a shuttle at 630 at night. And so it was a realization, not just about who I want to serve and how I want to be in the world, but what do I want my life to be like? And Mm -hmm. I don't want to be tired and I don't want to be thinking that my only worth is because I'm a Facebook employee with this level of status. Mm-hmm. So that was part of my um, exploration is how can I create a life that fulfills me, not just a career. Well said. And did you come to all of this by yourself or did you have a coach or someone in your family or a, a relationship that really pushed you into sort of those moments of realization or like how did that all come about? Yeah, there were kind of three phases of it. I think I was a little bit slow to catch on to myself about what was happening. (laughs) As most of us are, but (laughs) totally, totally. It took a little while. Um, but the first I mentioned already, my mom got really sick. So she had an Mm -hmm. emergency where she went in the hospital with a staph infection, um, and in her spine and was comatose for four weeks. And it was at the height of when I was on a team helping launch Facebook stories. And I found myself feeling guilty that I wasn't at work and feeling guilty that work was on my mind with my mom. 
And so it kind of started this process of like, wait, what am I doing? Um, my mom had to actually spend six months in a rehab hospital learning to move again. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little emotional because it's coming up for me. Um, but I flew home to Arizona. So I was living in San Francisco. I flew home to Arizona where my mom is every two to three weeks to be with her as she recovered. And so during that process, there was this still... I'm not at work. I feel guilty. Oh, wait, I'm not with my mother. I feel guilty. And starting to really think about, well, what am I doing here? What am I doing at Facebook? Right. I'm not spending time with my mom. So that kind of started to, to get the mind going. But it really was then a few months in that my wife and I were talking to a therapist about my mom's situation and figuring out how we can cope. And my wife turned to me and said, Aaron, you've got to leave Facebook. It's killing you. Yeah. Um, and I went, Oh, like I just couldn't see how tired I was, how burnt out I was. Um, so at that point I didn't know what was next. So I knew I needed to leave Facebook, but I didn't know that the coaching career was what I wanted. So I found another job at Microsoft in a place called Yammer, which is part of the 365 suite. Um, and at the time I left Facebook, someone that I had met at an entrepreneurial event, uh, put out a free coaching thing. And I had this huge bias against coaches. I thought they were just mm -hmm. full of crap. But yep. I knew this. I had met this woman. And I was like, well, what she's doing seems to be like a reset. That's kind of what I need. And so I started following her content. And then I said, you know what? I'm just going to hire her. If I waste this money and she's full of, full of crap, oh, well. And then as soon as I started working with her, she just started helping me peel back layers of stress and then also going deeper and helping me figure out okay, I've left Facebook, but I didn't know what was next. Now she helped me figure out what's next. And that's what yep. led to, okay, now it's time to take a leap. I I was terrified to take this leap. It was a sort of, I need to be bold and take this risk right now because um, all the signs are pointing towards leave corporate. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Gosh, there's so many different people that sort of influenced your decision in some ways. But what one thing that you said was in that, therapy session, your wife said, you have to leave Facebook, it's killing you. And you had this sort of veil pulled up, right? And like in that moment, it seems like that may have been a big pivotal transition for you. Um, if someone was, well, let me ask you this. If you think back to that person that you were pre that appointment and then afterwards, like what was the difference? Like what was the feeling that you had, um, maybe it was self-awareness, maybe it was something else, but was there something specific that you felt in that moment or was it just sort of like a nudge that sort of sent you down this, down the roller coaster, so to speak? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think there was a piece of self-awareness of, wow, I didn't realize how stressed out I was. Um, but I think I also still didn't believe it quite yet. Right. Mm. It was, I trusted my wife was seeing something that I didn't. And I went, okay, I trust you. I'm going to do this. But I think it wasn't until I started actually doing that reset with that coach and peeling back the layers when I went, oh, wow. Um, so it was sort of like I knew things weren't optimal, but I didn't know how bad they were. Interesting. Yeah. And when you sort of reflect on that, like what did that look like when you said, things weren't optimal. You realized they weren't optimal, but you didn't know how bad they are. Like what, 
would you be willing to share with the audience about like how that looked for you? And then in retrospect, like some of the mechanisms so that if someone's listening to this, I'm like, I know something's wrong in here, but I don't really know what it is. Like, what did you identify for yourself and how would you identify or help someone identify that for themselves? Yeah. Um, the thing that kept me from knowing that it was less than optimal was I thought what was happening at Facebook was normal. I thought that the pace mm-hmm. of life, because everybody around me was in hustle mode too. And mm-hmm. so it really was having other people start pointing out to me what wasn't normal. I felt like I had to be tired all the time. Um, I felt like I had to have no life. Um, but I also knew like I was coming home every night and wanting a glass of wine to unwind. Right. And that that had never been how I coped before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm not a drinker, but I was looking for how do I de-stress without having to completely turn off. Um, that was a huge moment for me. Um, it was my wife pointing out things like Facebook was pinging me, like people from Facebook were pinging me on messenger all hours. Um, and having her really say, Hey, like, can we spend time together? (laughs) Is this on fire? Sometimes you have to have an external person, but, and I kept saying, but this is how Facebook works. Yep. So once I started catching, as you pointed out to me, how many times I was saying, this is just the way it is. I started then saying, well, what if it's not? That right there, like I, I can totally picture what you're saying because you know, whether it's a a specific industry or a a specific company, you know, there's certainly cultures like in the entrepreneurial world or the podcast world, which we're in at the moment, clearly, Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. at the culture at a corporation or just identity in an industry, the way it is. And we just sort of think that's the way we have to do it Mm -hmm. in order to succeed or at least be part of the tribe in that way. And no one's really taking a step back. Well, I think more people are now, but a lot of people don't take the step back and be like, well, why? Or is this really what I want? Or is this really the way it has to be? Like, do I have to be this stressed out, overworked, you know, constantly responding to message version of myself in order to be good at whatever this thing is? And the fact that you had that awareness, and I think someone else could also sort of benefit from that, like catching themselves, like this is the way it is. Like, well, okay, but does it have to be or why is that? Yeah. Well, and even questioning now in hindsight, I did not have this awareness back then, but if it's the way it is and it makes you miserable, why are you choosing it? Yeah. So many people believe that they just have to go through the life by the default and that they have to accept the things that are suboptimal. And the truth is we have choice. We don't realize we have choice all the time, but if there's something that really is bad and it's the way it is, why are you choosing it? Yeah. Can you choose something else? <laughs> Absolutely. That default thing that you just talked about, when somebody sort of subscribes to that, and I think the default often is, you know, go to college, get a good degree, go get a job via internship or some other medium, you know, and then grind and climb the ladder. I think there's a bit of an erosion happening in that sort of model at the moment. And whether that means someone goes into entrepreneurship or just the culture is slightly shifting to, you know, work from home more often or just like a quality of life conversation in general. But like, 
how do, with your coaching clients, do you help people now identify that for themselves and then really start to unpack like, okay, great. Like I don't like commuting three hours a day. I don't like being stressed out, but like, what's the alternative? Because if you've never considered it, how do you even go for something that you've never even thought about? Right? Yeah. Well, so the first thing is just to figure out what, uh, one of my coaches talks about the created life versus the reported on life. And so what we do is have them report on what's happening in their life. And then we can go piece by piece on those things and say, let's explore. What are the alternatives? Are there alternatives? I can certainly throw out suggestions, but what's happening is we haven't even stopped to think about the alternatives. And oftentimes, as soon as you stop to think, one comes to mind. So it's going through the exercise of what are the things that are happening to you right now and Mm -hmm. which ones are really, really draining you that you can turn into something else. And it it feels very granular for some people to go down, like we'll even go like, tell me about everything that's happened in your day. Right. And then um, it feels granular, but then some of those small things that feel like they're insignificant, shifting those can shift everything else. Can you give us an example of something that comes to mind when you talk about a small thing that can shift? Yeah. Um, Let me think of one right now. Well, so today I was on a call with a client and she was talking about how her calendar overwhelms her. Okay. And we made a shift to do some ways to ask questions to the fact that her calendar is just a calendar. It's on her desktop. She gets Mm -hmm. to choose whether it overwhelms her. So mm-hmm. we talked about how can she reframe in the moment when she's looking at her calendar that the calendar is not doing anything to her. She's just mm-hmm. choosing to interpret the calendar as overwhelming and that she has, she's in a higher level of leadership right now in her company, her taking back her calendar and making it what she wants actually demonstrates leadership for her people and empowers them to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. So that's that really little cool. shift. Now she's saying, Oh, I'm going to empower my people to take back their calendar the way I'm taking back my calendar. Yeah. It's funny the way you brought that up. I'm, I'm struck by a story. My wife told me just, I don't know, a week or two ago, but she has this client who runs a company that a lot of people would know that I think one of their big accounts is Starbucks. They make syrups and stuff, but she was saying how, the office, there's constantly like donuts and, you know, cookies. And obviously my wife's personal trainer and health coach. So she's kind of influencing people in that part of their life. And she's like, there's always these junk food around and I'm always tempted with it. And then my, uh, it's like, you're the CEO of this company, right? And it's like, yeah. It's like, do you think that you might be able to influence what kind of food ends up in your office? She's like, oh yeah. And then she's like, on top of that, you pay for your health insurance with your employees, right? She's like, oh yeah, we do. (laughs) And then she's like, you see how there's like a disconnect with all of this? And it just sort of got the gears turning and she viewed that whole experience completely differently as a result of the engagement. And I I don't know what the moral of the story is at the end, but (laughs) I imagine it will be something similar to what you just described. Yeah. A lot of people think everything's happening to them and it doesn't matter whether you're um, bottom of the quote unquote food chain or top of the food chain. And that's one of the beauties of coaching is helping people see the little places where they actually have say they have influence, they can create what they want. Um, there's a great example of this that one of my coaches talks about around, um, if you're going to a restaurant and you know, you have a time crunch, people will sit there and worry about making the time crunch. Well, what if you tell your waitress, you know what, can you deliver the check with my food? so that Mm -hmm. you're all paid up by the time you eat. (laughs) 
Now yep. you've created the situation to make it back to wherever you need to go um, mm. on time. But people don't think about that because it's not a social norm, right? Right. So sometimes it's about saying, well, am I doing this because there's no other alternative or am I doing this because I don't want to break the script or the norm that has been created? Yeah. That's a great example as well. Cause we've all been there where we've just been trying to catch a plane in the airport or we're running to a meeting, but we're hungry. And then the whole experience is underpinned by stress basically because of something that you're feeling. And then all of a sudden the the kitchen's really slow and everyone, you know, everything is like a problem all of a sudden, right? Yep. It's amazing if we just sort of decide that we make up our rules and yeah. we, we decide what we want and try to create that. It's created life is what Rich, who told me this story about the restaurants, created yeah. versus reported on life is a really cool distinction. Absolutely. Well, so now that you're in coaching practice and you've been in for just about a year and a half, what are you finding are some of the biggest success myths that your clients face? Um, there's so many. <laughs> One is that you have to hustle. Uh, mm. That business is about working 24-7. Um, it's not just my clients. It's also my colleagues that I see that the people who take space to have a life, to dream, to plan, um, have way better results than the people who are hustling all the time. It's because when they're focused, they're really focused. They're not spreading Mm. themselves too thin. And the energy they put out um, can really be felt. If they're Mm -hmm. always in hustle mode, their customers, their clients can feel that. Mm -hmm. So I'm finding the people who have a really good balance. It's not that you can't work, right? Your business has to run. But people who are really good about setting their boundaries and giving themselves space are the ones that are the most successful. That's a really, really great thing. And and it's pretty counterintuitive. We all think there's sort of this like input of energy and stress and, you know, sales calls or meetings or whatever it is. And then as a result, there's a direct output of of money or, mm-hmm. you know, promotions or whatever. But I've certainly found that to be true in my life when I've taken those moments to actually step back and plan or to basically just be the better version of myself mm-hmm. um, and have a more rounded life and experience. That's when you kind of have these rich moments of engagement with a client or engagement with a colleague because you're not just so singularly focused on whatever work or whatever the thing is. Totally. You can be more present in everything. And I think part of the reason people think they have to hustle especially if they've jumped out of a life like corporate where they're making a really good paycheck is they're trying to make back their income quickly and business takes time. There's a lot of seeds that need to be planted that don't have an immediate return. Really well said. And so (laughs) it's easy to be like, well, let me hustle, hustle, hustle to get everything going. When sometimes if you are planting a lot of seeds, but you're not watering any of them, then you're not going to grow the business. So it's more about, yeah, take some time. Yes, when you're starting your business, try lots of things, but also take care of yourself. Set up the foundation. It's going to take a few years to get to a place where everything feels like it's really flying. That's okay. That's normal. In your experience, with especially with your clients, like what are those specific areas that you find that people 
if they spend time on them relative to, you know, planning and giving themselves some space and that sort of thing, like where are some of those areas that most people don't pay attention to, but then if they start really moves the needle in a big way for them? Um, I think for my people, it's getting really clear on what your business is here to do and who you serve. Um, a lot of people are just like, okay, well, I don't really care. I just want to sell my product. Right. Um, but spending time getting really clear on what you're up to in the world, who you serve, how you serve them really can be quite foundational for everything. And I will also say anyone who leaves their corporate job because they think they're going to make a lot of money in the business world. Yes, you can make a lot of money, but if that's your ultimate end goal, and you're not coming from a place of having a deeper why, you're never going to get anywhere. People can feel that energy from you. It doesn't matter what you're like, something just to make money, people will feel that. And so that's also part of it, right? If you're feeling like you've left your job, you need to make money now, even if you do have a really clear why, people will feel that energy. So if you can slow down mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. get clear and come from the right place when you're talking yep. to people, things will fly. Yeah, it's like... Uh, I had someone on the show, gosh, 20 something episodes ago. I mean, by the time this releases, probably 30 or 40 episodes ago, man, it's been that long. Anyways, <laughs> um, who said in her team, she's a real estate, a very successful real estate agent with a bud growing team. And she talks about, you have to go slow to go fast. Mm-hmm. And she talked about that in the context of expanding her business uh, into an expansion team in Southern California. She's here in the Bay Area, with uh, just on the other side of the Bay from me. But she said it took us the better part of two years to find the right people to open this expansion office that would culturally fit and just organically kind of take their systems and continue to build on them and grow with them in Orange County where she opened this team. And as a result of that effort and that sort of going slow, she said at the time of the recording, which was, I don't know, four or six months ago now, they had like five or six listings. They had a whole ton of buyers, which for someone to enter the market like that and just come in and take that much business right away, take that much market share is really unheard of and really challenging, especially when you're just starting. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, and I, and it sounds to me like that's an example of what you're talking about specifically. Yeah. the, The concept of you need to slow down in order to speed up is huge and it's so counterintuitive and so hard, but if you go too fast, you miss the opportunities to make things go well. Absolutely. I've been asking a version of this question. And as we get towards the end of our time, I want to start to wrap up with this. You obviously had a really challenging couple of years, especially at Facebook and then your mom's illness and all of that sort of thing. Looking back on it, and obviously you're in a very different place now, but would you take those times relative to the education, what you learned from them or knowing what you know now, go back and do that time over again in a different way. I do it exactly how I did it. So I think even just going back to college, I kind of knew that coaching was what I wanted to do. I didn't have words for it at the time, but I've really spent some time in the last couple of years looking back on everything I've been through and thinking, no, this is exactly how it was supposed to be. And Mm. if I were to redo it, I wouldn't have the same ability to help my people. 
So I had to have the lived experience. I have to have now the knowledge of how I navigated it and how to help other people navigate it. So many people are searching for lives without bumps and Mm. the bumps are where we actually learn the most and that's where we grow the most and become better people. So maybe I would have chosen different bumps. I think the bumps that I had got me here and I'm so happy to be where I am that, yeah, I wouldn't change anything. And I don't look back on those years when I was burnt out and say, gosh, you know, what was I doing? I don't have any like, you know, self-abuse about that. I just, that's how it was. And now I help other people through it. Really well said. I love that, that we're searching for life without bumps, but those, those bumps, as you, as you put it, are, are those opportunities for growth and are those opportunities for change that a smooth path would not provide. Absolutely. Well, this yep. has been really awesome. Aaron, thank you so much. I'm, I do want to respect the rest of your day and your time. So I'm going to transition us into the focus five, which is the same five questions I ask every guest on every show. Really excited right. to hear your answers. First question, what book have you gifted most often? Uh, the Power of Moments. It is by Chip and Dan Heath. And it is all about how we mostly learn through experience, not through books. And it talks Mm. about things all the way from high schools who do mock trials Mm -hmm. to people like me who create for people to trip over the truth about something. So a lot of what I do in my work is create experiences for people, not just one-on-one coaching, but actually go out and have people physically experience things to learn. And so I give that to other coaches and other people who want to do this work. If you could get an hour of somebody's time, past or present, live or dead, and ask as many questions as you wanted, who would that person be and why? It's my favorite musician. Her name is Vienna Tang. She was in Silicon Valley after college as a computer programmer and got real bored and took a leap to create her own music career. Spent five years or maybe more than that. She has five albums. Maybe that's what it is in her music career, then decided, you know what, I want to give back to the world. So she went back and got an MBA and a sustainability degree and is now the global director of some sort of, not nonprofit, but uh, sustainability climate change thing at McKinsey. And what I would love to talk to her about is her leaping in these different, like launching these new acts in her life and how she's maintained her inner compass throughout all of it. It's just a fascinating thing. She's so talented and you know, it's just great to see people who say, you know what, I'm leaving the Silicon Valley to go do the thing that lights yep. me up. And now, oh, this lights me up. But now I'm going to do some good in the world too. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. What is one thing that you believe most people would disagree with you on? The imposter syndrome is a good thing. Mm, can you expand on that just a bit? Yeah, I will. So imposter syndrome is this feeling like I'm a fraud that yep. uh, who am I to do this? People are going to find out. I strongly believe if you're not having imposter syndrome about what you do, you're not challenging yourself enough. You're in your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And if you're dreaming big enough in your business or in your life, you should be scared. You should say, who am I to do this? Just the right level of fear will motivate you forward. But a lot of people think that if they have imposter syndrome, that means play small go hide. I think it's the time to play big. Well said. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. 
give us a glimpse of your morning routine. How do you start your day? It's been shifting a little bit, especially because I live in winter right now, but I usually wake up, spend some time with my wife and then take my dog on a walk. Mm-hmm. And then my wife and I have breakfast and play cribbage. It's a card game. <laughs> we play cribbage every morning. And then I have blocked off two hours every morning for, I do a little bit of meditation and then I choose based on the day what I'm feeling. Sometimes I play music. Sometimes I journal. Sometimes I do stuff that's like dreaming in my business, but it's a two hour window that's totally up to me. I never mm. book a client for me to be in quiet mode um, mm. and taking care of me mode. So from nine to 11 every day in some sort of creation mode, whether it's creativity music wise or journaling or thinking about long-term business stuff. That's awesome. What is the best place online that we can connect with you the most? There's two places. I mean, um, currently, by the time this episode airs, uh, my website will be redone. So AaronMBaker.com. And then the other is that I run a Facebook group that for entrepreneurs who are coming from a heart-centered place, wanting to make an impact in the world. And it's called the Impact Entrepreneur Launchpad. The Impact Entrepreneur Launchpad. Yep. Well, I will make sure that both of those, the URL and the link to the Facebook group get into the show notes. So guys and gals who are listening, head down there to connect with Aaron. Um, Really, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate everything that you've brought. You've definitely brought a lot of takeaways through your story and just through some of your coaching and definitely excited to stay connected with you and best of luck with your coaching career and everything you're doing now. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. It's really a pleasure. And that does it for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Guys, if you want to connect with Erin, she is down in the show notes, got her website and her Facebook group linked up there so you can connect with her uh, socially or one-on-one via her website anytime down in the show notes. So go check that out. And if you want to connect with me, I've got my Calendly link down there. So head on down, take a look. Let's get together and connect. I'd really love to get to know who you are and um, how I can keep providing value. And lastly, if you are getting value out of this, I'd really appreciate if you haven't done so already to head over to iTunes, leave a written rating and review because it really helps me grow the show, gives me some critical feedback, and uh, just really in general um, is much appreciated because I do this all for free and that is a huge value add to me. So thank you in advance and we're going to sign it off. So this is Hans Strazina, host of Another Way to Play. And remember to make every chapter better than the last. Thanks for joining in for this episode of Another Way to Play, making the next chapter of your life better than your last. For more insights and inspiration to help you make that personal leap, be sure to engage with Hans on social media and get your questions answered right here on the show. Reach out to Hans at Chief SNAH on Instagram, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Another Way to Play. Thank you.